I'm Carol Joy Side, and welcome to the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. You're listening to episode 48. This is a podcast to help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. I want to spend our podcast this week sharing with you about a Christian leader that has had a huge impact both on my life and on the lives of millions, literally, of people. His name is John Stott, Dr. John Stott, S-T-O-T-T. You've probably never heard of him if you're an American, but in Britain, he is considered spiritual royalty and is the best-selling Christian author that England has ever produced. The thing that I love about John Stott, uh, who died not too long ago, he died at the age of 90 in uh, 2011. So he's been gone a little bit of a while, but his impact will never, uh, his light will never go out, I guess I should say. Uh, He lived, as I said, to the age of 90 and had an unbelievably full life. One author said it was as though he lived six lives. And I thought I'd share the story of John Stott's life, but also the things, the way that he impacted the Christian world and the things that he stood for and he believed. When he was a little boy, his dad was a Harley Street physician, and they were very wealthy. They had a chauffeur, and uh, he and his sister had a nanny named Nanny Golden. And the closest church, Church of England, to their house was All Souls there in London. And so Nanny Golden would take them to Sunday school and would take them to church, and John was an absolute mischief. He would put daggers in his socks to scare the girls, and he would pull pranks during church, and he was always getting thrown out of Sunday school. And Nanny Golden just kept taking him back, but he was absolutely incorrigible as a child, fun, full of mischief, and really full of personality. When he got old enough to go off to boarding school, he got accepted to rugby, which is the school that his father had attended. And while he was there, he was impacted by a gentleman who would come to the campus to invest in the boys and really uh, impacted them spiritually. And his nickname was Bash, B-A-S-H. And he wrote to John and discipled him and brought him to Christ, and he had a a true conversion there at rugby school. And Bash ran summer camps, Christian summer camps, and he invited John to come and serve at the camps, and eventually he made him kind of a director of the camp, and that had a, a very large impact on John Stott's life, the intentional evangelism, the sharing the gospel, the investment in nature. John Stott was a world-leading ornithologist, and the way that he fell in love with bird watching was, as a young boy, his father would spend time doing nature walks with John, and he would say to John, now when you're out in nature, John, shut your mouth and open your eyes. It's the only way that you can enjoy nature and really understand it. 
So John started by collecting butterflies, and he had a beautiful butterfly collection. And one day he and his sister were having a bit of a squabble, and she threw a cushion at him, and he ducked, and it hit his butterfly collection, and it destroyed most of the butterflies. And at that point, he gave up butterflies, and he moved to birds. And later he talked about going off to boarding school and how the chauffeur had to carry his butterfly net, you know, into the school. And he said, how embarrassing would it be? He goes, I'm eccentric enough, but imagine if in my old age I'd been, you know, traveling the world with a butterfly net. At least it was just binoculars. His father was not a believer, and John really had a tough go getting his father's permission and his blessing because he uh, began to feel a call to the ministry and his father wanted nothing to do with that for him but eventually through prayer and really death to self he honored his father as much as he could um, as the scripture says, as much as lies within you, be at peace with all men. And John Stott really did that with his dad. And through his quiet obedience, he won his father's approval and blessing uh, to pursue the ministry. He went to Cambridge and uh, went to seminary there as well. And when he graduated, he became a curate, which is kind of a pastor in training, back at his home church, All Souls in London. And he was very gifted, very, very successful in the ministry. And when the rector, who is a very well-known pastor, when he died suddenly, the queen had to determine who would be the next rector. That was just the way the church was set up. And she was appealed to by the elder board. It was unheard of for a rector to become, uh, excuse me, for a curate to become rector of that church. But they really went to bat on John's behalf, and the queen agreed that he could be the rector. He served there his entire adult life until he moved into a retirement home for the last very short period of his life. What came with the job was a six-floor vicarage or rectory. And John, being a single man, he chose to never marry. He several times considered marriage, but he really believed that, that he was freer to do the things God called him to do as a single man. And once again, he gave up his rights and his personal kind of um, comforts to to serve the Lord. He lived such a life of sacrifice and really death to self. And so in this building, this six-floor building that wasn't exactly a glamorous building, but it was large, he called it the wreckage, which was a combination of the rectory and the vicarage. And um, he invited people. He would travel the world. He began to do college ministry where he would speak at Cambridge and other universities around the world. And he would do uh, student presentations of evangelism at these universities. Had a huge impact. And through um, a series of events as he would travel, he began to invest in young people. curates and young men that were pursuing the ministry, he would pour into them. And as he began writing books and was receiving huge royalties for those books, he never took a penny 
of the royalties, but he funneled them all into a fund that he created and put these young men in the third world countries through seminary and school so that they could go on then to lead evangelical movements in the two-thirds world. Um, He just poured into these men, and then he would always say to them, if you get to come to London, come to the Wreckridge and have a cup of tea with me. And very often he would invite them to stay while they were in London. But John lived such a busy and disciplined life. He would go to bed. He would leave whatever he was doing at 9 o'clock. He'd be with a group of people. They'd be socializing, enjoying themselves, and he would quietly excuse himself at 9 o'clock and go to his rooms or his quarters, wherever he would be. And he would get up extremely, extremely early in the morning and had a whole ritual. He read uh, the Bible program of Robert Murray McShane, where you read the entire Bible in a year. And he read it every day using that program of his entire adult life. So he read the Bible over and over and over again and um, carved out that time first thing in the morning. He had a whole routine of discipline in the morning so that his life was very um, structured. If you had an appointment with him, he was so busy. He would he was known for being a great listener and he made people feel like they were the only person in the world. He invested in people and welcomed people. And he was, as I said, a great listener. But when your time was up, it was up. This is what Michael Cromartie, who directs the Evangelical Studies Program uh, at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, said this. He was a friend of John Stott's for 30 years. He said, He made you feel you had been friends and were going to be friends all your life. And so he was. No pretense, no ego, never in a hurry. Always eager to know, how are you doing, my brother? He was quite simply the most Christ-like man I've ever met. The thing that um, excites me so much about John Stott was his commitment to the Word of God. And Mindy Belts, in her uh, article on John when he died, said, began her article in World Magazine with this quote, all true Christian preaching is expository preaching, unquote, said John Stott, whose determination to open scripture to thousands led an evangelical revival in Great Britain and influenced Christians worldwide through his more than 60 years of preaching and writing. Do you ever wonder if the modern homeschool movement has lost its moorings? How do we get the results with our families that were common in the early days of the homeschool movement? On February 13th, I will present a live webinar called Returning to Our Roots of greatness. I will be sharing the secrets of the founders of the homeschool movement and calling us back to our early years of greatness. We will start at 9.30 Central Time and end at 2.30. You will have the ability to replay the webinar for two weeks after the live experience. The afternoon will contain a panel discussion with experienced homeschooling families that will be able to field 
the questions that you send in. Those who are registered will also receive access to a never-before-offered exclusive discount to my full online course all about homeschool. Register in the show notes below or on our webpage. I look forward to fellowshipping with you on February 13th. So Stott was known for his fabulous Bible expository teaching, which is teaching chapter by chapter, word by word, and there was no one quite like him. When he would prepare his sermons, he would say, I spend one hour in preparation for every minute that the sermon will last. Now, when Stott was converted, the culture that he was converted to there in England was one where preaching was only loosely related to the Bible. It was kind of sermonettes for Christianettes. And he, John Stott was influenced through the writings of a famous British pastor that had lived 100 years before him named Charles Simeon, who was the vicar of Holy Trinity. Stott, of course, never met him. He predated him by 100 years. But the only portrait in his little apartment was of Charles Simeon. He had such a large influence on John Stott. Um, He was a pioneer also in lay mobilization. When he was made rector of All Souls, he sent a magazine out. You know, um, they were announcing that he had been appointed to the head of the uh, parish there. John Stott wrote an article for the church newsletter, and this is what he said. The task of evangelism is beyond the power of the clergy. There are only two alternatives. Either the task will not be done, or we must do it together. A task force of ministers and people thoroughly trained and harnessed as a team for for evangelism. Stott introduced a regular guest service to which people could invite friends and launched a six-month training program with a written exam at the end. Later, he published his ideas along with their rationale in his book, One People, Clergy and Laity in God's Church. He was also a genius at bringing balance in theology, and he called it BBC, Balanced Biblical Christianity. He tried to avoid polarization if he could help it, but he also was not mealy-mouthed about his beliefs. He said, we need to combine truths which complement one another and not separate what God has joined. So he used the, the twins' phrases, on the one hand, and on the other hand, in his preaching, he would identify two contrasting approaches before combining the best of both. For example, he would often refer to holy worldliness. He rejected two extremes, living in a religious ghetto that ignores the surrounding world on the one hand, and being shaped by the world around us on the other hand. Instead, he combines both. A deep involvement in the world for the sake of mission combined with an uncompromising commitment to God's word. Stott, I mentioned, was a bird watcher, an ornithologist, and he 
in the course of his life and world travels for ministry, saw 2,500 different species of birds. From the time that John was a little boy, he kept a journal of every bird that he saw and identified, and he did this his entire life. He also wrote a book on birds, which I've just ordered and I'm so excited to open. And uh, his, his involvement with nature created such a balance in his life because he could have just been a bookworm, but he was very much a well-rounded person. A TV reporter once asked Stott about his ambition after he was chaplain to the queen among many other things and the tv reporter said well what what's your ambition now after all these years and stott replied to be more like jesus to be more like jesus his best-selling book is called basic christianity and in that book he starts, there are three parts to it, but the first and the most important part is focused on the person of Christ. Stott said that is what compelled him about Christianity. He said, if we see Christ's glory, we're going to want to serve him. As we see his beauty, we're going to want to imitate him. He also wrote his, his last book, uh, The Radical Disciple, and he talks about if Christian maturity is maturity in our relationship with God, in which we worship, trust, and obey him, then the clearer our vision of Christ, the more convinced we become that he is worthy of our commitment. We need, above all, a fresh and true vision of Jesus Christ. Stott was so successful because he said no to things. He said yes to many things, but he did that only as he said no to other things. For one thing, he was the most unmaterialistic person I think I've ever heard of. He had one pair of decent shoes. And if he needed to have them repaired, he had to have them repaired during the middle of the week so that they would be available for church on Sunday. He never owned a car. He never owned property. Oh, actually, I forgot to tell you, he did own some property because years and years into his ministry, he bought a place out that was like a desolate, um, oh, it was just a disaster of a country place. He loved to go hiking, and he, he found this place, and he bought it, and friends all helped him. Uh, they chipped in. He paid almost nothing for it. But he would get everybody out there in their wellies and working to fix it up. And he would uh, invite people out there to meet with God and nature. And his sister used to say, I can hear, hear you rattling the chains when he would issue invitations because his friends all knew that if they went out to the little um, cabin that they were going to be put to hard manual labor. He also uh, refused to become a bishop. He was offered the, the role of a bishop m several times in his life, but he felt that that would have restricted him from the things that he needed to do. Um, I mentioned that he never married, and he lived 
above the garage after he um, he turned the rectorship over to a younger man, which allowed him to travel more and and write more. And when he did that, he gave him the rectorage and the sixth floor building. And John moved above the garage behind All Souls, and he had you know basically like kind of an efficiency apartment, and that was it. He just lived so simply. He got rid of anything he wasn't using. He never allowed himself a second portion of food. Um, On Sunday, he would allow himself a second piece of toast with marmalade at breakfast. That was his big thrill for the week in terms of culinary experiences. He was just known for his humility. He would travel the world. And when he'd arrive at the airport, even into his 80s, the people would meet him in Africa or wherever he was going, and they'd say, where's your, where's your luggage? And he would have a little backpack, a little, a little bike pack, really. Uh, and he'd say, this is all I've brought. This is it. And then when he would get to the place, he would have his little uh, sleeping bag. He would unroll it on the floor, and he'd say, this is perfect. This is all that I need. And people were just astonished at his servant heart. He never charged for these trips. Um, Just gave himself sacrificially to the Lord and to the body of Christ. And just was uh, a huge impact in the evangelical world. Billy Graham uh, respected and admired John Stott so much. And when Billy decided to bring a convocation of the world's leading evangelists together in Lausanne, Switzerland, he asked John to head this up. And when they created a document, the Lausanne Covenant, uh, they asked John at the end of the meeting to take all of the input from that convention and create the document. They trusted him to do the writing and the summarization of this very, very important document because everyone respected and trusted how carefully he wrote, how carefully he um, preached and exegeted passages. He was truly a scholar scholar. And everyone who reads his books, his best, um, probably his favorite book was a book called The Cross of Christ. The Cross of Christ. And his life verse, he said, was Galatians 6.14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So I highly recommend this man to you. Um, There is a lovely, simple biography that has come out of Scotland in the Trailblazer series from Christian Focus Publication. That would be a great book to read with your children. And it's called John Stott, The Humble Leader. John Stott, The Humble Leader by Julia Cameron. Uh, Once you spend time with John Stott, You'll never be the same. I I know I have been changed forever. Thank you for joining me this week on the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd appreciate a rating and review on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help too. Visit my website, Carol Joy Side. 
Com. To subscribe to our equi- e- weekly email and receive exclusive discounts in my online store where seminars and interviews are available. Be sure to tune in next week for my next episode where I help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. Blessings.